0: Hello and welcome to this month's episode of People Make the Difference, the Lorien podcast. This month, we're super excited to be joined by a very special guest, Julia Robertson, Group Chief Executive Officer at the Impellum Group. And as ever, I'm joined by my fellow colleague, Darren Toppin. In this podcast, we discuss with Julia her experience over the years at Impelham and why being the world's most trusted staffing company is so important to her in the wider business how she created a virtuoso way of working, Pelham's involvement in jobs for Ukraine and sharing tips and advice on becoming a successful leader and plenty more. We really hope you enjoy it.
1: Thanks again, Julie, for giving us some of your time. Um, just for our listeners, would you mind giving us a, an introduction to yourself?
2: Sure, my name's Julia Robertson and I am Group Chief Executive Officer of the Impelham Group.
1: Brilliant, thank you. And the the idea behind this recording, Julia, was um, I remember when Impelham first acquired Lorien, can't remember how long ago it was now. You did long a bit time. of a Yeah, a long time. You did a bit of a roadshow around the round the Lorien offices and um I was lucky enough to have a sit down with you and you started talking about um your vision. Which was to make Impellam the world's most trusted staffing company, and he told me where that where that story originated from. Would you mind sharing that with us?
2: Of course. Uh, people often ask me this one, and um, I usually say, when I first came up with it, I didn't realise what a uh, how much of a lofty ambition it was. To me, it was something that was kind of natural to strive for. Um, but when I look back. Now, I think, gosh, that really was quite an ambition. Um, and what was behind it was um, having spent all of my working life in recruitment, I truly felt there had to be a better way of doing it. That's what's driven me all my life, that there is a better way to do this thing that I have dedicated all my working life to. And uh, when I first went into recruitment hundreds of years ago, it wasn't as professional as it was now. And it wasn't as um Uh, regulated, you could say, but it wasn't held in such high esteem. But I didn't know that when I first went into it. So um, I've spent all of my um, working life trying to prove it was a really good thing to do, being in recruitment, and also that what I chose to do and spend my time in was something to be trusted and proud of. So that's what was behind it, um, because I wanted to change the view that people in recruitment couldn't be trusted. and not just people, but organisations. So that's why it became our vision and mission as an organisation to follow that path.
0: I know as part of um, being the world's most trusted um, recruitment company, we have heavy emphasis on um, a promise-based culture and um, being a virtuoso. Um, Why do you think that um, encouraging that culture is really important um, to the Impelham group?
2: So let's start with promises first, um, because that, was, that underpinned everything for me all those years ago. And then virtuosity as a layer on top of the promises, if you like. So for me, doing what you say you're going to do, which is a promise, is the essence of a service industry. It just is common sense that if you make a promise or a commitment to someone, you do it. However, as we all know, that's not very common in recruitment. So actually, keeping our promises is a real differentiator and it's part of being the most trusted. So I know you go anywhere um, these days and you um, uh, maybe go to the hairdresser and you need to check them, or maybe you go to um, buy a house, all these things that are really, really important parts of your life, whether it's having your hair done properly or investing in the place that you want to build your life. You want to rely on someone to do what needs to be done When they say it's going to be done and how they say it's going to be done. It's really, really important to you and if you do that you go back and you recommend other people to it. So keeping our promises means that we keep our customers, um, we work well together, we keep our candidates and that's the underpinning nature of growing our business. Then a few years ago, I wanted to take that to another level. Once I thought we had a baseline of doing what we said we're going to do, I wanted to really celebrate and grow the wonderful people that work in Impellum and create this virtuoso movement. And what that's all about is um, bringing to real life something that I saw happening everywhere. I saw wonderful virtuoso behaviours across Impellum before we started to talk about virtuosity, but I wanted to give it some definition. And a virtuoso sees the world differently. They don't always have to be trained to be a virtuoso, some people just get it, but I wanted to grow the number of people that just got it by having this movement. Virtuoso is really close to their customers, their candidates, and they see what needs to be done. And most importantly, they then get on and do it. So it's not just conceptual, it's not just strategic, it's seeing the difference that will make a difference, being able to articulate that and get commitment, whether it's from a customer, a candidate, a colleague or a boss, And then going into action and being so determined to get it done that people will knock down any barriers. So a virtuoso is a way of being. It's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of making a commitment to yourself and the people around you to get things done um, in a um, authentic, trustworthy way. And I just think who wouldn't want to do business with us if we're a company full of virtuosos? And that makes us different and special as well
1: yeah and i would agree it definitely does i definitely feel like we all have that uh feeling of freedom to do what we feel is is right for our customers i, I think and i think everyone feels feels like that um closely linked to virtuoso and, and promise management julia you might like this one and um, i was at round table maybe two months ago and it was about building inclusive workplaces and it was a really it was a brilliant round table really good discussion and we started talking about um the book Radical Candor, and we went off on a real a real tangent, um, and I started talking about how whenever we've had engaged or we've had any conversations, you've you've talked about following the high road, making high road decisions, ha- picking high road customers, treating our candidates well, and the people I was at the round table with were fascinated by this. But someone said, and it was quite contentious. They said, mm-hmm. "Surely there's a limit to following that high road. Where does where does making a high road decision stop? Like, you know." It, is it right to make a high road decision even if it damages you know short-term business performance and stuff like that so i thought it was a good question to ask you today was there is there a limit to to taking that high road do you think
2: well i thought about this one on the way in i got <laughs> a piece of paper new questions like, oh that's fun so is there a limit no but is there a way of making a high road decision that's sensible yes so um I. I you can't just uh, take dudgeon at how someone's acted in one way and say, that's not a high road way of working. I'm not going to work with you ever again. That would be foolish. Um, but if you build up a picture over time about an organisation and you see that it's not a good place to work, that they don't treat people with respect, that they don't do what they say they're going to do, that they don't pay their bills on time and they're just frankly a bit shabby. <laughs> you should develop a plan to move away from them. But it's a plan. And you, you would actually think about how you're going to move away from them as a, a, as a business. And that would start off by trying to get them back on the high road, actually, you know, pointing out to them, telling them why the way they're behaving is not going to help them achieve their objectives. They're not going to get the best people. They're not going to get the best staff. People aren't going to stay with them. So showing them why they should change. If you can't make them change, then we need a plan to withdraw <laughs> and, and walk away from them. Or, yeah, it's just such a wonderfully liberating feeling to sack a customer. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I, I really like it. Do you know what? I find it liberating um, because I think it makes your decision making quite easy. In a yeah. world where decisions are really hard, to step back and go, do you know what? what's the high road? I, I, and that's what the, yeah, the piece right. of the round yeah. table took and away.
2: And it's about kind of looking at yourself in the mirror every morning and saying, have I done a good job today? Have I treated people properly? Am I doing the right thing by everybody? It makes it a lot easier, doesn't it, than having to read a rule book?
1: Yeah, than having to sit back and yeah, weigh up the pros and cons, just think, yeah. you know, what is that but high I road?
2: I would expect in and if someone was coming through your academy, for example, and they identified a high road, a low road customer, I'd expect them to come and talk to somebody about it before they took that decision. That they yeah, to walk away. yeah. <laughs> It's all part of the overall context of the business.
1: Yeah, small small caveat there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I guess how how would you apply I guess it comes into the high road around um what we've faced over the last couple of years and presumably across the industry we'll continue to face with the volatile sort of markets and um change and disruption as a leader in the staffing industry what is your approach to managing um in those and thriving in those um certain circumstances
2: I think the one thing we know is that change will continue to happen and we've got to be ready for it and um I could never have foreseen what we would have gone through as a business in this last two to three years. You could never plan for that. However, what we did plan for, myself, my team, was we had to prepare the business to be ready for change. We didn't know what it was going to be, and we didn't know how dramatic it was going to be and how we would suddenly have to move to working from home. But when we put together the Leadership Development Programme, when we started to um, develop the Virtuoso Programme, the Virtuoso Alliance, when we started this as a way of working, what we knew is we could never give everybody all the knowledge and all the skills to cope with any unforeseen circumstances, but we could show them a way of behaving a way of being, a way of communicating, a way of being trusted and empowered to mean that whatever the world threw at us, we cope. So we didn't foresee the pandemic. We haven't foreseen the war in Ukraine. We can't foresee anything. But what we could do is do our very best to shape the organization and equip our people to cope. Um, And that's all we can continue to do. react in the moment and I think what Impellum has developed a really strong ability to do is to deal with uncertain um circumstances to deal with change in fact I was talking to someone about this the other day that we're actually at our best in a crisis <laughs> we'd love a bit of a, a bit of drama
0: to get crisis comms
2: <laughs> it's like you know you get the unexpected bid or something goes completely wrong we're sometimes better at dealing with that than we are dealing with a steady state and that's something we need to challenge ourselves on being at our best even when we haven't got a drama going on
1: (laughs) yeah yeah focuses the mind gets the adrenaline pumping try and keep that going in normal times
2: it does yeah if we could do that that's the beautiful basics but building on to be brilliant all the time as we are in a crisis yeah
1: oh super interesting thank you um i'm going to ask you to try and do a bit of my job for me now Julia, because i've Every quarter, at least, I speak to all of our all of our customers around what I think is going to happen in the next the next quarter and beyond. Um, which is quite difficult to do, but I think if I could, one of the trends I'm seeing at the minute is, and it's a trend we've seen for a long time. I'm sure I'm sure you've seen this quite cyclical over time, but I feel like the barriers are really being broken down now in organisations between contingent workers, permanent workers, internal moves, referrals. I really think we're getting closer and closer to a real holistic view of the workforce and actually people are just hiring in a very different way to what to what they did if I could ask you what what you think the future of of our industry looks like in the staffing industry looks like and if there are any particular challenges that you see on the horizon <laughs> taking into consideration Kaylee's last question which said, which we say who knows what's going to happen next <laughs> yeah
2: do you know who knows and um, I suppose with the benefit of 40 plus years of experience, you could only, you can only foresee so much. And the one thing I do know, though, is that people have been um, doom mongering for all the time I've been in recruitment, actually. Oh, gosh, the internet, that's going to be the end of recruitment. We won't be needed because everybody has looked for their candidates online. Um, I, w- I was in recruitment when the fax machine first came in. Can you even imagine that? And to me, that was a transformation. So suddenly you could put a CV on a machine and it would end up in your customer's office. That, you know, that was real big stuff all those years
1: ago. No, in no, no box machines, though, did they ever arrive? or <laughs> you know,
2: you know, then Because, you know, but the first time I sent one, I felt like jumping in the car, going around to the customer's office and saying, is it really there? <laughs> so, but you know, we've <laughs> dealt with all these things over time. And the recruitment industry has always reinvented itself to stay relevant. Um, So I think when I, I thought about this on the train on the way in this morning as well, and I think the most important thing we've got to think about as recruiters is how to stay relevant and meaningful and to make sure that we are always adding value to our customers and charging a premium fee for adding value, but not expecting to be paid for something that doesn't add value. So we have to keep moving ourselves along that line. So many recruiters are stuck in the um, old days when they think they can be paid top dollar for doing, you know, what, what a search engine can do or what a resourcer uh, with no experience can do. So we've just got to be really mindful to keep focused on the value we add. And the one thing that I've been talking about for years and years and years and years it makes me wonder if it's even relevant, perhaps it's not. It's, I've always been talking about be close to your candidate. It's the candidate now that that's where the value lies. So, just if only people could see that and spend as much time on nurturing their candidate relationships as their customer relationships. Um, I think that would put us all in a stronger position as well. And I think that will continue. Um, I mean, the circumstances we're in the middle of now are really weird. Here we are with a, a potential recession close to us because of inflation and so on and so forth. But there's never been a time when our candidates are more in demand. And that's not just in technology, Lorian's candidate base, but it's in all of our markets, whether it's catering or hospitality or healthcare or life sciences, there aren't enough people to go around and that's creating really different market dynamics as well. So how can we as recruiters add value? So I think the most important thing to be prepared for anything is to start, make sure you're relevant. Look at yourself, be honest with yourself and say, can I really justify that fee? Am I really making my customers business better? Am I providing um, fulfilling work for our candidates? If we are, charge top dollar.
1: <laughs> I heard like it, it here first. <laughs> you're so right there, Julie. It's that interesting when I talk to our clients because I go through high level numbers with them first of all and I'm telling them there's 1.3 million open jobs there's more open jobs than people looking for jobs and all these really positive numbers but at the end of it at the moment anyway I get to like the employer confidence numbers and the and the candidate confidence numbers and they're all really down in the mouth and everyone's feeling really grim and down in the dumps but all the other numbers are really positive so it's
2: crazy and it could just be that we're in this sweet spot you know, recruitment companies because of labour shortages, which have happened because of um, maybe because of Brexit, maybe because of the pandemic. And I think people are talking about the 50 somethings plus have made different decisions and exiting the workforce. That's driving the shortage. Younger people have decided they don't want to work in corporate life. They want better balance, all of that stuff. Is that a temporary thing that we're just in the middle of and we're enjoying the benefit from because we're in the business of supply and demand here and we've got what supply there is and the demand is huge so we should you know we're in a great position but it's really odd to be leading a business with a recession looming and to feel as confident as I do right now yeah
1: really interesting interesting. at least it feels I was seeing this one coming I mean I'd I'd literally started at Lorien two weeks before the credit crunch in 2008 which which made a good recruiter, in my opinion, because yeah.
2: Yeah, you had to, If you could do that, you can do anything. Don't.
1: Yeah, it didn't feel like that one. We saw that one coming. So at least we we've got a, a bit of lead time this time.
0: Yeah. And um, Julia, you talked around um, adding value um, as a business um, and something that we've we've done recently that I, th- I think it's fair to say myself and every employee at the business is really proud of is um, joining the Jobs for UK- Ukraine Co- coalition. Um, how much further can the staff in industry with broader social needs um, a- a- help with this particular area? And is there anything else that's sort of on your hit list um, where we could go that extra mile?
2: I think the really important, thank you for that. And I'm glad you feel proud. I do too. Um, I think the important thing about this uh, initiative with Ukraine Jobs is it's really relevant to us as an organisation that we can use our skill to make a big difference because there's so many things you can try and do out there um, to, 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 to make the world a better place. But I have to um, prioritise each of those. And when requests come in from the businesses or from people, can you support this, could we do that? And it's wonderful that our um, approach to corporate social responsibility is broadening and wellbeing and all the things we're involved in, it's brilliant. However, to make a real difference as an organisation, not as individuals, we have to say that is something we can really do, really get behind and make a difference. And that's what I saw with helping Ukrainian refugees get work. We could do this, every single one of us could do something to make a difference. And that's why we really threw everything behind it. And I'm thrilled what we're doing so far. But before we actually defined what our promise was gonna be for Ukrainian refugees, we had all sorts of things coming at us. So will you donate money to this? Or would you support retraining over there? Or can we do that for Ukrainian refugees? And we had to really, really go down funnel if you like to say no that's what we're doing because it's right in the heart of our um, mission good work for good people good people for good work and so we could do it really well so that would be my filter on it what is um close to what our heart what can we do what can everyone get involved in so and again i didn't see it coming but once it was there i could see what i needed to do and i think that's the lens we need to look at to make sure that when we get behind something we're doing it really authentically and in yeah. a way that sits with our values and with our capability and you know also who we are as an organization because we are a commercial business as well and it's got to sit and work for all of our stakeholders yeah our investors our customers our candidates and our people so always i'm balancing each of those so i don't know what's coming at us next but Should we be looking at opportunities to make the world a better place? For sure we should.
0: Absolutely. And I think I think you're right. I think it really resonates with every individual um, and across our client base as well, because it just makes sense for it to be that authentic approach. And I think that's why it's been such a success and also why everybody at the business is so proud of it. Um, So come into yourself as an individual then. So obviously you're a really successful female leader of a global business. What would be your best advice or what would you um, do to encourage young women to follow um, in your footsteps, perhaps? Um, when they're starting out in their careers?
2: Yeah, this is um, a tricky one. And it's something I've been, um, I'm lucky enough to have two brilliant daughters, both of whom have got big careers and manage a home and children. And the first thing I would say to any young woman is it's bloody hard work. So I don't think <laughs> it's not, be, not that it's not and for men trying to do the same, but you've got to get in that mindset that there's no magic wand Everybody that achieves and is successful works hard at it. So take take that for granted. There's not an easy way. But as well as my wonderful two daughters, I've also been fortunate enough to work with lots of young women coming through the organization over the last 20 odd years. And I'm super proud of them as I've seen them grow and deal with all the things they've had to deal with really authentically. And that, that was what I thought about. Two, two words of advice to any young woman or any young man, actually. Be yourself. Be authentic. Try and get to know who you are. And accepting that you, you're going to have to work hard at different times in your life because you cope with different life things as well. Try and be authentic, because that makes life so much easier. It's back to that look in the mirror. If you're trying having to be a different person at work than you are at home, and you're, you know, in the office, um, you're a superwoman and at home, you're a That's really hard work. So try and bring the things closest together and align them as possible. And the other thing I would point out, women in particular suffer from imposter syndrome. Um, they suffer from, oh, it's only little old me doing this. Mm-hmm. And my advice to them would be, no, it's not little old you. Or if it is that little old you, is absolutely brilliant. So believe in yourself and go for it, knowing that inside you'll be terrified a lot of the time, as I still am often. So that's just it. That's it. all I can say. And I've watched so many women in Impelham come through and I couldn't be proud of them.
0: Thank you. That's really great advice.
1: Yeah, I think that's such an empowering message, Julia. I think that's going to gonna help a lot of people. And I love what you said about working hard, by the way, because I don't, I, I mean, I do a lot of a lot of reading and there's this big push-pullism there at the moment between finding balance for them, working hard. I think the balance has maybe, maybe gone almost, from my perspective anyway, a bit too much towards balance. And I think people are forgetting maybe the working hard bit, especially in the stuff that I'm reading at the minute. So... Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think you get anywhere without without working really hard.
2: You don't. Know, you know. I mean, some people are just lucky, but you know, um, luck and hard work tend to go hand in hand as well.
1: <laughs> you,
2: some people look lucky, but in fact, they put the hard graft in.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, a last question from us. Then this is a question we've we've started asking every guest to our to our podcast, and following the name of our podcast, which is People Make the Difference. Um, can you tell us about a person that's made a difference to you?
2: Oh, this is so easy for me. It's um, Ginny Tate, Lady Tate, um, who actually I saw on Saturday. She changed my life. She changed um, my family's life when uh, she headhunted me 25 years ago when I was chief exec of the Institute of Employment Consultants. And she persuaded me to go and run Tate appointments and grow it really far and then sell it to whoever um, was the best home to take and would pay Ginny and her husband Saxon top dollar so they could have a wonderful retirement together. And she taught me everything I knew. She taught me how to be a good person. She told me how to run a business well. She told, taught me about values. Um, she taught me about the high road. She didn't know she was doing all this and she didn't put all these fancy labels on it. And when I talked to her about Impelum now, as I did on Saturday, she's 80 now. And we had a personal training session together in the park in Cannington on Saturday. Because <laughs> she's still so competitive. And so <laughs> we have the personal <laughs> thing. And she still says, Oh, what are you doing with this? And what are you doing with that? And I say, oh, What I've done, Ginny, is take everything you taught me and just develop it over, over the whole of um, the group. And she goes, Why do we call it that? What's this virtuoso thing? And la la la. And so what she did, she taught me, and then i I just developed it and spread it out and made it sustainable and right for uh, today and for a global business but she taught me the fundamentals um uh, we grew tate appointments really fast and then sold it to the group um, in 2000 and then since then my career has just grown and changed with the group um, she changed my life my children would tell you that she's been a part of our lives for all that time and i guess Um, what I try and do is give some of that forward and change other people's lives by showing them what she showed me.
1: Brilliant. I think that's all we've got time for, Julius. Thank you very much for your time.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. It's good. It was fun. We really hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Julia and managed to take away some great tips and insights. I know that definitely Darren and I did. As ever, follow us on LinkedIn to keep up to date with everything that we're doing at Lorien. And thanks again for listening to the People Make the Difference, the Lorien podcast.